The following recording is a presentation of the Brian Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome you to visit our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our service of Berean Baptist Church. Well, today in our study of the church, I want us to open our Bibles to Acts chapter 6. Today is another opportunity for us to delight in the Word of God and the perfect plan that He has for His children as we walk through this life. Uh, We thank Him for always being with us in our Christian lives to be there for every encounter that we have, Peter wrote that God's divine power gives us all things that pertain to life and godliness. I know there's some that would attach only temporal blessings to that to that verse of scripture, but I think that mostly the Lord is talking to us there, or the apostle is speaking to us about our our spiritual life, that God provides everything that we need for spiritual life And that includes the people that he puts around us to watch over us and to care for us. I think that's evident from our studies of the pastor the past three weeks, how the pastor is your shepherd, how the pastor watches for your soul. He feeds you with the word of God, and then he watches your life that he might see what areas that you maybe need to be strengthened in your faith. And so he tries to help you with those. And then I believe that God also puts good friends in the church. You form relationships with people that help support you in tough times and when you're going through grieving processes or family troubles or whatever it might be, you have these sympathetic shoulders that you can lean on and indeed the Word of God says that we are to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And even those comments that I I have made this morning, I I had made notes that these were things that I wanted to say weeks before this event uh, is about to occur tomorrow. And it just works out perfectly that I see in my own life how how much that God puts our, our good friends here to help us when we have need. Well, it is in the Lord's church that we find this support system, and Peter wrote that God supplies it. He puts it there so that you have all the help you need for life and godliness. Now, we know this, that the Holy Spirit himself is our comforter. He's always there for us, but we have no doubt that the Lord uses human instrumentation to carry out his His will for our lives, for all of his purposes in our lives. People are, that are guided by the Holy Spirit will be drawn with divine attraction to those that are in need. And when they are, they fulfill the purpose that God has made for them to be servants. Uh, just to have the opportunity to help someone else is to fulfill God's purpose in their lives. And you don't need to be appointed to an office for this. There needn't be a formal structure for it. In fact, I would say that every member of the church should have the, the qualities of attitude and of, of, the day, of the daily life, of moral character, of that care and concern that we find expressed in the qualifications outlined for pastors and deacons. You might not have the same teaching abilities as a pastor or some other person in the church. You might not have the same knowledge that they have. But nonetheless, you do have this responsibility to feed yourself with the Word of God 
To be strengthened in the Word of God so that you are able to help others as you grow in your own sanctification. Well, in our message today, we come to the second organizational and administrative part of the church, which is the office of the deacon. And what I have to say to you this morning, just a very, very practical message. It won't be difficult, but I think that maybe it'll give you an appreciation for your, your deacons and help to understand how they interact with the church and what their purpose is. It's by the Lord's wisdom that we have this office of the deacon in the church. Now, I've just mentioned that people are put into the church to help you. And here we find the wisdom of, of, of the Lord, his, his divine wisdom, and in that the Lord knew that the ordinary people in membership of the church would at times need help. And not only would they need help, but the pastors of churches would also need help. And so deacons were given to the church to help with the membership, and they were given to help pastors. And this is what we find described in Acts chapter 6. So if you look here in the scriptures, Acts chapter 6, beginning in verse number 1. And in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there rose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews, because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. The second office of leadership in the church is that of deacon. Besides pastors and deacons, we, we don't have any other formal positions that are given to the church according to Scripture. And because this is God's design, we know that two leadership positions are enough. We can improve upon God's wisdom, and if we try, we ultimately get into trouble. But here's the truth of the matter, that down through, uh, through church history, this has been a problem. That is multiplying offices in the church. And understand, when I, when I use the word church, I'm using that loosely. I'm using it in a generic sense because when we talk about church history, most often church history is about a history of apostasy, a history of departure from what the Word of God teaches. And it's also a history of many false churches. And so it's no wonder that the offices of the church are corrupted because every aspect of the church is corrupted by Satan in some way or another as he works against the Lord's church to destroy us. And perhaps the greatest corruption that happens in the church is the corruption of the officers of the church. And why is that true? Well, it's true because of the authority of the offices. And when authority is corrupted, the people themselves will be corrupted. Seeds of this corruption were sown very early. Paul addressed the issue in the Corinthian church. 
They were taking too much pride in their leaders. They elevated preachers, it seemed, even above Christ himself. And so we see today that there are multiple church offices and many church organizations where power is put into the hands of men who hold no legitimate scriptural authority. So the scripture has this only. It only has two offices for the church, that is, the pastor and the deacons. And if we go beyond that, we go beyond scripture. We go beyond the authority of God's word. And what we actually do is we despise the plan that God gave us and we substitute our plan. Folks, that can never be an improvement upon God's word. Now, because there are only two offices... It should impress with us the significance of these two and show us that these are to be highly regarded. The pastor is of, has the primary position and then very closely behind him and with great significance, I say, is the office of deacon. Now, sometimes we don't treat the deacons that way, do we? Deacons are often the butt of our jokes. We need to be careful about that, that we don't go too far and degrade the office. Now, unfortunately, my personality kind of lends it myself to being flippant sometimes. But I want you to understand that I am, in the end, very serious about this subject. I realize that we are reading from God's Word. I understand that we are talking a God, about God's plan. And I do believe that those men who hold these positions in the church are divinely called by God to their office. Now, they may be called in a different way than the pastor is, but I believe that the Lord is in the selection of our deacons. Paul says in 1 Timothy 3.13 that deacons purchase to themselves a good degree. A good, faithful deacon is in the place of blessing and reward. And in that faithful work that he performs for the church, he's laying up treasures in heaven where the righteous judge will see that work and he will note it to the glory of Jesus Christ. He, you, and I should take this office very seriously. Now I want to call your attention to the place in Scripture that we believe established the office of deacon. This is in the Scripture that we just read, Luke's record of Acts chapter 6. I think this is the choice of the first deacons. So here we have the origin of the office. That's first on your listening sheet today, the origin of deacons. Now, if you'll notice in your Bibles, Acts 6 describes a church problem. It was a time of turmoil. It describes a perplexing problem for the apostles who were pastors of the first church at Jerusalem. Now, I want to address those issues, those problems in just a moment. But first, I want to say that God, again, God gives us all things that pertain to life and godliness. He gives us all those things. But God is also far ahead of us in the accounting of our problems. He not only anticipates problems, but sometimes God brings those problems. He designs the problems and he works through those problems just to show us that we're not on our own. That he is the one who is to be dependent upon. So you're never going to encounter a problem that God is all, not already aware of and plan to take care of. Now I want you to notice here though in verse number one that there was murmuring among these people in this first church. They were murmuring. And th- this came out of a mixed multitude of those who had just recently been saved and become members of the Jerusalem church. 
What we read about here is a mixture of, of really two types of Jews. They were Hellenistic Jews. These are Jews that, that uh, came from the outside of Israel. And they were mixed in here with native-born Jews that were born in Israel. Those Hellenistic Jews were ones who spoke Greek and they had come to Jerusalem to celebrate the feast days. And while they there, they had come to know Jesus Christ as Savior and become part of the Lord's church. But there was a clash between these native and non-native Jews. They thought the distribution of food was unfair and biased. And so thus we can say that the office of deacon was born out of complaints and adversity. Necessity is often the mother of invention, as they say. And it seems that the deacons were needed to address a growing problem. And so, perhaps we can say the deacons are born out of trouble. 2,000 years later, deacons are still often used to squash trouble. Now, if that's all they did, that would be a noble endeavor for sure. I mean, anybody who works through problems and helps the church get through problems, uh, does a very good work. Well, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10 that we need not murmur as Israel did in the wilderness, that we shouldn't complain. And he talks about how complaining was one of those things that helped to destroy Israel. Many of the Israelites, most of them died in the wilderness and never reached the promised land. God destroyed them because of their murmuring. So I would say if deacons help us from complaining too much and murmuring too much, if they help us from destroying ourselves, then God bless deacons. I stand before you this morning as one who has been in both offices. Most of you know the history of my pastorate. And when I come to this subject of the deacons, this is very near and dear to my heart. It was in the office of deacon that I, that I found much fulfillment. I used my time as a, a deacon to become much better acquainted with the doctrines of the church and the way that the church works from the inside. I counted it as a privilege to serve. I've always loved being near the center of everything that goes on in the church. I was a deacon in my church for many, many years in Kentucky. And upon coming here, it wasn't long before the Lord brought me into the deacon ministry of this church. But then two decades ago, just almost 20 years ago, the church experienced pastoral problems. And then I was placed in the position of leading the church for a search in a search for a new pastor. And I look back after all these years, and there's no doubt that God's providence was on every event, everything, all the moves that were made in my life. There was a time of turmoil in our church then. There was adversity. And the Lord put me into the position of being recognized as as someone who had qualifications and had ability to take the pastoral office. So I was asked to become the pastor. Now, I I won't go into all those details. We're now almost 20 years into this trip that we have together. And six years ago, I became the longest-serving pastor of Berean Baptist Church. Now, it took several years of trial by fire to work through many doctrinal issues. But now we have a a church with a good doctrinal foundation. And I can say that I, I do believe that the Lord was in the change of leadership. 
But this is not supposed to be my story today. I only relate this to you because I, I want to keep this thought before you that I loved being a deacon. And the reason that I did, one of the main reasons was I wanted to know what was going on in the church. I don't like secretive ministries. I don't want anyone to think that we hide things from people, that we're trying to hide anything. But there are sometimes some sensitive issues that only the pastor and the deacons know about. And we try to work through those sensitive issues for you and for your good. But I find it incredible that there are many Christians that just don't care what the church is doing. They never ask. Church is something that they do one time each week, and it doesn't really matter to, to them too much what goes on. And that, that uh, is concerning to me because they have other concerns that keep them too busy to think about the church. You know, I've never looked at the church this way, and perhaps that's the reason I'm so sensitive about it. I'm disturbed when people ignore the church, when they put themselves above the church and believe, oh, well, I have some special insight that nobody else has. Uh, I have something that the church leadership doesn't have. But just remember, the church is God's institution, and God has his way of working through it, and God has his way of working through the leadership of the church. I think you've learned that in our study thus far. I emphasize that if you hope to do God's work, if you hope to grow spiritually, you can't ignore the church and do your own thing. But unfortunately, there are people that just have their own views of spirituality. They judge themselves to be superior to all other Christians, so they just know better. And it turns out they think they're far more spiritually spiritual than they truly are. Now, I've always approached church with the attitude that church is my life. If I can serve the church, that's when I'm the happiest. And I don't think that's an attitude that's reserved for the pastor, for the deacons. That ought to be the attitude of every member of the Lord's church. How can I serve God and be a blessing to my church? I think that Acts 6 reflects this attitude. The welfare of the church was paramount to the apostles. They were consumed with their work. They did believe their most important duties were, were prayer and preaching, giving themselves to the word of God, and they just didn't have time to deal with all the logistical issues of the church. Now, that doesn't mean that logistical problems are unimportant, the apostles, though, did not want to neglect their most important duties, and they didn't want to neglect this aspect of church life. It had to be done. Organizationally, it was necessary. And so they instructed the church to appoint deacons to oversee the logistical problems. Now, I want to be fair with you about this scripture. There are many that just don't believe that Acts 6 is about deacons. In verse number 2, the apostle said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. I want you to notice the word serve there. In, in the original language, that word is diaconio. It's the root word for the English word deacon. However, what we find here is a general usage of the word that's found several times throughout the New Testament, and it's variously translated in either the noun or the verb form as serve, servant, minister, and so on. 
Because what we find here is a general usage of the word. Some say that this only means any servant of the church. And these men had no special office. I don't find that to be a compelling argument. The first church had deacons. That, that's described by the qualifications in 1 Timothy chapter 3. And what better place in scripture do we have to show us the origin of the office than in Acts 6? I mean, it seems very strange that qualifications for deacons would suddenly pop up in 1 Timothy chapter 3 without the origin of the office being previously introduced in some other place of Scripture. So I believe what we read here in Acts 6 is the origin of the office of the deacon. And here it gives us good insight into the reason this office exists. The Scripture explains the reason the first deacons were chosen. I want to remind you that this was very early in the development of the church. This incident of Acts 6 um, takes place shortly after the day of Pentecost. I don't believe that the church was born on Pentecost, but I do believe the church was empowered by the Holy Spirit on that day when the Spirit came. And that empowerment was a shot in the arm for the preaching of the gospel. The apostles who, before the resurrection of Christ, were, were timid, were now emboldened to preach without fear. The Holy Spirit came as Jesus said that he would. That was Christ's promise. And that even more validated the gospel that the apostles preached. So if they were beaten in the synagogues, they still preached. If they were taken to prison, they still preached. If they were beaten to within an inch of their lives and told not to do it again, they just said, oh, but we can't but speak the things which we have seen and heard. And from that boldness to preach without fear came the exponential growth of the church. And so soon the church was alive with 3,000 and then there were 5,000, then there were 10,000, even reaching numbers upwards to 20,000 or more. And that fast growth, so many people, so much activity, and with the people multiplying, so did people problems multiply. Well, let me give you two reasons for the choice of deacons that are found in the passage. This is an office that has developed over time, but the reason for the office is anchored right in this place. Why were the deacons chosen? First, I think we can say that they were chosen for division of ministry. This is why I chose that passage in Exodus to talk to you about a few minutes ago. Deacons were chosen for a division of ministry. There was much work to do. And, and all the work could not be done by the apostles. The Jerusalem church was growing fast and that just brought a unique set of challenges. This, the, these people were faced with persecution. There was a good deal of poverty as a result. Christians were fired from their jobs. They were thrown out of the social order. They were outcast. And because of this, the people made an agreement that they would combine all their resources. This is recorded in Acts chapter 4. If you just want to turn back there a few pages to the fourth chapter. In verse number 32, it says... And the multitude, now this is after so many people were being saved, and the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. 
Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. Now go down to verse 34. Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet. And listen, distribution was made unto every man, that's every person, according as he had need. So all their goods were held in common. They shared everything. And so everyone was fed and clothed out of the storehouse as they had need. Well, apparently the apostles were handling this part of the ministry. But the church was growing so rapidly that this work of distributing food and goods, that was consuming their time, the time that they needed for study, for prayer, and for preaching. Now, the church does need ministers. As Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians, though not all of us can do the same things. Not all of us are gifted to do the same things. There is a diversity of ministry in the church so that all areas can, all parts of church ministries can be done and done well. Now, sometimes in a church, out of necessity, a pastor must be a jack of all trades, must be able to do everything there is to do. But as that old saying goes, a person who is a jack of all trades is a master of none. So the apostles were overwhelmed with this other layer of work that was put on them. They couldn't do it well. And so the work got too heavy for them. And as it did, the efficiency of their system began to break down. Some that needed help were neglected, and that's what made the distribution unfair. Well, you can trust me on this, that many members of churches feel that they are treated unfairly. And it doesn't take too much, when that happens, for people to start complaining. Unhappy church members are a thorn in the side of pastors. So the apostles said, we need some help. We need somebody to start pulling these thorns. And so they told the people to find men that were honest and filled with the Holy Spirit and appoint them over the business affairs. And since that time, good deacons have been responsible for taking care of the headaches of pastors. That's their best work. There's a division of ministry within the church so that all of the church works well and it works well when these different areas are given the proper attention. The pastor has his sphere of work that he does, and he concerns himself with that, and we have appointed deacons to their sphere of work, and when they cover their appointed areas, all the ministry prospers. Now, notice what the deacons did. That gives us an example of the type of ministry that engaged them. The deacons were chosen, secondly, for the distribution of food, This is the purpose of their office, the distribution of food. And that that probably sounds to all of us a little bit demeaning. That's demeaning. And and the meaning of diaconio in in verse number 2, the meaning of it is wait on tables. We we call a waiter still today in a restaurant, we call a waiter a server. And that's the same idea that we have for the work of a deacon. A deacon is to remember that above all else, he is a servant. And so he should relish the opportunity to serve because that's what God has called all of us to do. All of us are called to serve, but especially 
the deacons. And it's not demeaning work. I'll tell you that service to God's people, service to God's people is service to Christ. It can never be demeaning work. You remember that Jesus said that when you give a cup of cold water to one of my disciples in my name, you do it unto me. And so whenever we serve the people, we serve Christ. So the work of the deacon can't be demeaning because there is no work we do for the Lord that is beneath our dignity. I mean, if a deacon works for you, he works for Christ. The pastor is also called a minister. That means a servant. One of the greatest lessons that Jesus taught his disciples was that if you hope to have any position in the kingdom of God, you better first learn how to serve. That's what Jesus said that he came to do, didn't he? He came to serve. He came to minister. And he demonstrated that lowly position by doing what? Bending and washing the disciples' feet. A deacon should be proud to serve because every time that he does, he reflects the character of Christ. Now, I find it interesting. He said, the apostles said, find seven men of honest report filled with the Holy Spirit. They, they, they must have been men already busy helping others. They must have been because a person filled with the Holy Spirit will be right there doing what Christ would do. Always taking care of the needs of others. So I think it's fair to say Acts 6 is where we find the beginning of the office. There is no other scripture that fits as well as this. And that, quite frankly, is the common interpretation. That's the one that Baptist, most Baptists agree to. This is the place of the origin. Now I'd like for us to note secondly, secondly is the work of deacons. And the work is very straightforward in this passage. There was a physical need. There was maybe what I would call a mechanical need. There was a supply need that was handled by putting a good distribution system into place. Well, what would we call that? Well, I, I would call it an administrative duty. So I, I think we look at this and say that part of the deacon's work is administrative. This is part of what he does. It's administrative. And the church is not unlike any other organization in, in this respect. We must have administration. Services must be held here. And services don't just happen. It just doesn't happen that we're able to have this church service this morning and you show up and all things are done. We have all the equipment that we have. We have the grounds and the property. We have people to contact. We need water for baptisms. We need maintenance of the building. We need interaction in church departments. We have an office. Why do we have all this? Well, that's all administration. And these are areas that must be attended to and they all must operate smoothly to make the ministry function correctly. Now, although the deacons in the first church here in Acts 6 were in a crude form of this and the need for infrastructure has grown, we see that deacons may not perform all the duties by themselves, but rather they're may need help and they may delegate some of these duties to others to make sure the work is done. That's part of administration too, overseeing what is done. I have a good example of uh, the diversity of, of gifts of our deacons and using them in different ways would be, for instance, with our church treasurer. Um, if possible, we, we changed our bylaws a, a few years ago to read that if possible, that we would 
choose from the deacons someone to be the treasurer of the church. I think that's a, a biblical approach. Nothing wrong with that, of course. And so we've got Brother John Bunn, who is a, a deacon and served in, in, uh, as the church treasurer for many years. Another example of ministration is something as simple as the purchase of our church bulletins. You look at that every morning or every time that you come to church, the church bulletin. Uh, Brian Petro, one of our deacons, worked out a system where we could barter for church bulletins. And so we have those. That's an example of what deacons do. Last week, we had Brother Lino carrying hot water up and down the hall over here, poured it in the baptistry so that we could have a baptism last week. That's part of what deacons do. In our church, each deacon is appointed to an area of ministry to administrate. Now, what's happened to us in the past couple of years with um, pandemic issues and all these other things, we've lost some deacons, and so we've had to shift some responsibilities and turn ministries turn ministries into other areas of ministry. But each time that we that I meet with the deacons, we go down. The, the assignments that the deacons have for different areas of the church. And I get a report on how those areas are doing. All of that requires administration. But what if it require, if I was required to do all of that personally? That every single area of the church I had to do personally, well, then I would be just like the apostles. And I would just end up wondering, how am I going to have time to do all that? How will I study? How will I pray? And so the deacons are an immense help to the pastor in taking these burdens away. At least for the most part, they can take care of the church in these other areas. Now, this leads to a problem sometimes that pastors treat deacons like hired hands. That is, um, hired to work for nothing except eternal rewards. They get nothing from it, it seems like. So pastors treat deacons like dirt. Some look at the deacons, as I mentioned earlier, as, as someone to make jokes about, someone to complain about, that these are half-wits that are dumb enough to get corralled into doing all this stuff for nothing. And I'm sure there are times the deacons think, why did I ever sign up for this? And to be quite honest with you, sometimes the pastor feels that way too. With, with so many people and so many, so many problems and things going on, why am I doing this? And this is one of the reasons that the scripture says, don't be weary with well-doing. Be careful that you don't become weary with well-doing. And so I think that's one of the responsibilities of the deacon. They help me that I won't become weary in well-doing. Peter was right about that. God gives us all things for life and godliness. Now would you notice something Truly special about the deacons in verse number 3, Acts 6, 3. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. Why do we need Holy Spirit-filled men for administration? Well, I understand we need honesty because they deal with our money. And our church, deacons help formulate the church budget. Under my direction, they help approve spending. They act as a board of trustees to take care of legal matters. So, of course, we understand. They need to be honest men. But why filled with the Holy Spirit? Why would you need that? You know, I, I, uh, I trust the banker at Chase Bank to keep my money safe. 
Now, with Internet banking, nobody really has a personal banker anymore, I don't think. But if they did, they probably wouldn't require their banker to be a Holy Spirit-filled banker. I mean, if the banker was going to steal my money, he wouldn't get very much. Uh, and, and, but it would be nice if he was a Holy Spirit-filled banker, but I don't require that. And I, I didn't call up Chase Bank and say, I, I wanted you to situate me with one of your bankers that's filled with the Holy Ghost. I never asked that. In fact, if I went to deposit my money and one of them pulled me aside and say, your money is safe with me because I'm filled with the Holy Ghost, I'd probably say, I'm taking my money someplace else. So why are we so concerned that deacons must be filled with the Holy Spirit? And I think the answer to this is fairly obvious. And that is, in addition to their administrative duties, the deacons' duties are also spiritual. The deacons have spiritual duties. And to back that up, 1 Timothy 3, 9 gives this qualification. Holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. There is no one who holds the faith in a pure conscience unless the Holy Spirit is working in his heart. In fact, we find that the qualifications for the deacon closely parallel that of the pastor. In fact, there are no qualifications for a deacon that falls short of the standard set for the pastor. Well, why are we so concerned their spiritual lives are right? Well, it's because they have spiritual duties. Now, as I say that, I have to qualify it somewhat, and this will help you to understand why I say that that passage in Exodus with Moses and choosing leaders there is not a perfect parallel. Let me show you how this works. The spiritual duties of a deacon are less formal than those of the pastor. The deacon performs his spiritual duties in an unofficial capacity. In other words, there is a separation, there is a division of ministry so that our spiritual duties are not conflicting. The pastor has the main spiritual duty. He's the primary spiritual leader of the church. So deacons are spiritual leaders, not by virtue of the office itself, but because of the spiritual deportment of the people. And what I mean by that, they must live spiritual lives because they are considered to be an example for the people. People will be looking at their lives and they should be a model that church members can mold their lives after that That. The deacon is a pattern for their lives. Let me, let me see if I can help you understand this. The pastor must be a spiritual man. Part of the demand of the respect for the pastor is because of the office that God gave him. He is called by God and he is, according to Hebrews thirteen seventeen, a ruler in the church. He is to rule the church and that comes by virtue of the office. But the deacon does not have an office that gives him authority to rule. So that's where our parallel with Moses and his selection breaks down because he appointed people to rule, others to rule the people. The deacons do not have ruling authority. Maybe some of them didn't know that, so they're just getting this this morning. Uh, They don't have ruling authority. And when deacons begin to rule, they tread on the office of the pastor. The one that God appointed to rule the church. So I want you to understand something. We use terminology like deacon board, but the deacons, deacon board does not really act like a board. Usually a board has authority to make binding decisions for an organization, but a deacon does not have the ability to make, uh, the deacons don't have 
as a board the ability to make unilateral decisions. The board can't overrule the pastor. The deacon board can't fire the pastor. Now many pastors have seen how unscriptural authority is sometimes taken by deacon boards and because of abuse of authority, they just won't have deacons. But you need to understand this, that the authority lies ultimately in the congregation. The, the deacon board can't stage a coup and take over the church. They can't throw the pastor out, even though they've tried many times without success. The church, it, the membership is the final ruling authority with oversight that's given to the pastor. But also understand this, that because of congregational polity, some churches will overstep that authority, and that's also wrong. Now, let me sidetrack here for just a moment. In our study of the nature of the church, we, we, we talked about church polity. That means church government. The New Testament shows us congregational government. You, the people, are the government of the church. That, we think, is necessary to constitute a scriptural church. But coming back to this original premise, the deacons have spiritual duties, but those duties are secondary and unofficial. But the qualifications that we see in the scriptures prove that there is a spiritual side. And so when you have a pastor that excludes deacons from that spiritual side and make them the cleanup crew, that's wrong. Now let's add a little bit to this to describe what deacons do on a spiritual level. Most of you should be aware, all of our members should be aware, that we have a deacon care system. Each member is assigned to a deacon. It's your deacon's job to watch over your attendance, to know what's going on with your family, to be aware when there are changes in your disposition that might indicate there is a spiritual problem. If you miss church, he will usually be the first person to contact you. He should be. And he does that with the thought of heading off a problem or a potential problem as soon as possible. Well, thank the Lord for this. Most of the time there is no problem. Thank the Lord for that. So if you hear from your deacon, then thank him for caring enough to watch for you. And if you get in trouble over something, he would be your first point of contact to help you to try to resolve the issue. If you don't hear from your deacon, don't be bashful. Go tell him, I haven't heard from you. And chastise him. Because that's what he agreed to do when he took the office. And for deacons that aren't here this morning, you hand them a copy of the message so they can hear what I said. Now let me say that everyone should be thankful for deacons. They get no pay. They get much grief. They take much time. And they do it because they love the Lord, they love the church, and they love you. It is an honor to serve. Thank them for this because they have their own families. They have their own problems. They have other jobs. But they volunteered to make your problems theirs. And they volunteered to take grief for you. Now I want to back up just a bit to explain something else. I, I, I maybe touched on this, that sometimes pastors abuse the deacons. The deacons are made the scapegoat for all the mistakes and 
The pastor hides behind the deacons to let them take the fall. Now, on one hand, they may teach, as I do, that the, the deacons have really no say about the actual running of the church. But on the other hand, the deacons are fully responsible if it doesn't run well. Now, think about that for a minute and see if one of those positions must be wrong. Now, as, as I taught you last week, the buck for all of this stops at the pastor, not at the deacons. One last point that I like to make this morning. I haven't been too comprehensive today. Uh, we could take First Timothy one and we could First Timothy three rather, and we could break down all the qualifications that are found in that passage one by one. But we've already done that with the pastor, pretty much, and so I don't really need to go over that again. I said the qualifications are practically the same, so I'll just say ditto, ditto for the deacons. So let me conclude with this, just this last part, which is controversial. Every year, because of compromises, feminism, and other pitfalls, this is a controversial topic. I mean, it's just like the office of the pastor. This is a controversial issue. What does the Bible say about the gender of deacons? Thirdly is the gender of deacons. And I hesitate even to use that word gender because of the insane meanings that have been attached to it. And I am simply talking about male or female according to biological classification, of which there are only two, have always been only two, and will always be only two. Is it possible to have female deacons? Is there an office in the church called the deaconess? Some say that's okay. It's okay to have women in this office. And this idea is because of confusion, mostly over two places in Scripture. And I'm just going to look at those briefly this morning. Two places in Scripture. The first is Romans 16.1. There it says, I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church, which is at Cancrea. Servant is that word Diaconos, I mentioned a moment ago, this is the feminine form of the word, same word from which we get deacon. Hold on to that a minute. Also, there is 1 Timothy 3 verse 11, where in the qualifications of the deacon, it says, Even so must their wives be grave, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. Now, wives in that verse is accurately translated, could be as women. Even so must the women be grave. And so some say, if we put women there, that refers to deaconesses rather than the wives of deacons. So what do we do with these two passages? Well, I have a purpose for some of the things I tell you in my messages. And you remember in the beginning of the message, I said the word servant and minister are used multiple times throughout the scriptures. And these words are general. They don't refer to an official title. Now, although diaconus is translated informally as servant and minister, there are only two passages in Scripture where that word is formally translated as deacon. The first one is Philippians 1 verse 1. And the second is 1 Timothy 3 where it's translated deacon five times. In those two chapters, diaconus refers to an official office. In Romans 16.1, speaking of Phoebe, sermon, uh, servant is not an official title. It was not translated that way by the King James translators. 
for purposes. And, and a woman working in the church certainly can be called a servant, but she can't rightly be called a deacon or a deaconess. In 1 Timothy 3.11, then looking at that scripture, it's most harmonious with the scriptures to translate that according uh, as that, that being the deacon's wives. And there we find the qualifications for their wives. So it doesn't fit with the scriptures. It doesn't fit with precedent for leadership roles. Women cannot be, can be used for service, absolutely. But we can't mix the deacon board with men and women. I wouldn't send a woman out by herself to deal with a spiritual issue with a man. I just would not do that. So what need is there for deaconesses in the church? The best place that we have in Scripture to introduce women into the ministry would be in Acts chapter 6. Why? Well, because the first deacons were dealing with widows. And, and women, they're women that are being neglected. Wouldn't that be the logical place to choose seven women rather than seven men? Or at least to choose one woman out of the seven so she could be the advisor to the men to let them know how women think. I mean, God knows we need an explanation of that. We don't understand it. The word, I, that's, just take that comment however you like. In scripture, the word diakonos is referred to Christ. Christ is referred to as diakonos, a servant, but he's not a deacon. The apostle Paul was referred to as diakonos. Diaconus uh, as, as a servant, but he was not a deacon. There's no reason for us to translate Romans 16.1 as an office, as it refers to Phoebe. A woman should not receive official ordination from the church. Now, one answer to this, of course, is that women can be great servants of the church. Many of them are. Most, I mean, there's many of you in here this morning, I can say, are great servants of the church. You, you do want to do, you will help in any way you can. We've seen that demonstrated in so many ways. And as I said at the very beginning of the sermon, you don't need an official office to be a servant. It's just something that we do. And in many churches, the women outnumber the men. And so their help is desperately needed. But what happens if we have no men in the church that are qualified to be chosen as deacons? What do you do then? And all the, all the rest of them are, are women. What do you do then? Well, women can be servants, but there's no necessity to appoint them to a scriptural office that only men are qualified for. There is nothing in the scriptures anywhere about laying hands on women for ordination. If you haven't found out this about Christ Church, it is countercultural. As I, as I said, I think when I was talking about the pastor, if you haven't learned that about the Lord's work, you haven't learned anything. It's always against this culture, isn't it? You can't fit this culture into the Lord's church. We've got to be in God's culture. Do things his way. And that's the only way things will work right. So the Lord knows what he's doing. He knows what we need for life and godliness. He knows that there is an order maintained for men and women that begins in Genesis. And that order works its way throughout the Bible all the way into the New Testament and into the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is Christ's church. 
We must not interfere with God's affairs, no matter how much better we think that we could do, no matter how much wiser we think we are, and that we would have a much better plan for the organization of the church. Never step beyond the authority that God's Word gives us. Well, then that leaves me one last question. Must we have pastors and deacons to be a church, to have a church? And the answer to that question is no. And the reason is, you have to have a church first to appoint them. The church is the assembly of God's people. A church does not need these for being, but it does need them for well-being. Thank the Lord for men who are willing to give of themselves for the work of the church and the glory of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you and we are so thankful for our church. Thankful for the servants that we have in our church, whether there is an official title or not. We are just so grateful that we have people that love you, love to do your work, expend themselves whenever necessary, and even go beyond what is necessary just to help others who need help. Even this week I've experienced uh, some who have asked me, how can I be of help in this situation? What can I do? What can I do for you? Or what can I do for other people that are in the church? We're just so thankful for that attitude. Lord, we do thank you for our deacons and for the work that they do. And, and like pastors even, sometimes we need to be shaken up just a little bit to remember what we've given ourselves to and who we serve. And if we always remember this, that every work we do is for the work is for the ministry of Jesus Christ, for, for his sake. If we could just remember that, there's nothing that we wouldn't want to give ourselves to. Thank you, Lord, for this church. Bless our people. We pray for if there's anyone here who doesn't know you as Savior today, that the Holy Spirit would speak to their hearts and they would come to understanding that Jesus died for our sins on the cross, that he gave his life that we might be rescued from the consequences of the awful sins that all of us have committed against God. We thank you that Jesus Christ satisfied the penalty that you, Father, required. Lord, if there's someone who's come to that realization today, we pray that they would put their trust in you. We thank you, Lord, for all these things. Bless us as your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Brian Baptist Church of Roner Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Brian Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Roner Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us online at www.bebaptist.org.